Anybody ready for the word of the Lord this morning? Can we give it up for God's word this morning? You know, you just got to love scripture. You got to love the Bible. Thank God for the revelation of truth. We're so grateful and thankful for it. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to be in Romans uh, chapter 3. You want to get to verse 25, Romans chapter 3. We're going to be at verse 25. If you're still looking for it, say, hold up. All right, all right. Now, we've been in Romans a while now. It shouldn't take you that long. You should be there right away. I'm just messing with you. All right, if you're there, say amen. amen. If you're not there, say read anyways. Read anyways. All right. The word of the Lord says, <laughs> you silly. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just in the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. You may be seated this morning. I want to tag this sermon this morning with this simple thought. The cross was for God also. The cross was for God also. I feel like I ain't showing y'all no love over here, so I'm sliding No. <laughs> Legend has it that six men from India who were blind encountered an elephant in their path. So they thought to discover it by touch, what stood in front of them. In the case of the first person whose hands landed on the trunk said, this being is like a thick snake. For the second one whose hand reached his ear, it seemed like a kind of fan. As for the third man, whose hand was upon his leg, said, The elephant is a pillar like a tree trunk. And the fourth blind man, who placed his hand upon his side, said, The elephant is a wall. And the fifth man, who felt his tail, described it as a rope. And the last felt the tucks and said, All of you are wrong. The elephant is that which is hard, smooth, like a spear. Friends, all six men encountered an elephant, but they all had radically different perspectives on what it was. All of them were partially correct and equally wrong. Why did they all miss it? They all missed it because they had a wrong perception. Friends, we see this often when it comes to the gospel. Many people have a good grasp on pieces of the gospel, but not the whole gospel, a holistic gospel. They then take that piece of the gospel that they have, that fraction, and they begin to build their foundation on that piece. And their theology ends up lopsided. Paul understood 
the importance of the complete gospel and has been laboring in the book of Romans to give us the whole elephant, if you will. Paul wants us to have the right perspective on the gospel. And all I have been doing these past weeks is tracing the steps of the apostle. Because my desire is to unpack to you the same gospel that God delivered to the apostle Paul. And you know what Paul says in the book of Galatians. He gives a very sharp warning. A curse anyone who preaches another gospel besides the gospel that has been delivered to us. And so it is important that we not only have pieces of the elephant but that we have all of the elephant. And so this morning, we're going to take another angle at the gospel. Last week, I had unpacked uh, verses 21 through 24. And as I unpacked last week the righteousness of God, I'm sorry, a couple weeks ago, I unpacked the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ is the manifested, manifested righteousness of God. Why is that important? Because our greatest need is to be right with God. Therefore, we need righteousness. You can only be right with God if you're perfect. If you're perfect. Anybody perfect in the room? Didn't think so. So let me put it plain. It, to be right with God is to be without sin your entire life. The psalm says that we were born into sin. You're doomed as soon as you're born. We all know that to be perfect is impossible. Therefore, we can't produce the righteousness that God requires, so we are doomed and headed to hell. Friends, that is the human dilemma. But Jesus, with his perfect life, dies for us rises from the dead, and promised to come again. He offers his righteousness to us freely. He gives us his righteousness freely. And all those who repent and believe or put their faith in Jesus, God the Father literally clothes them in the righteousness of Jesus. We didn't earn it. And by doing this, God justifies them forever and counts them among the righteous. Let me simplify that. Everyone who truly has put their faith in Jesus will have eternal life and peace with God for how long? Forever. The gospel tells us that there is salvation for us in Jesus. However, there are still pieces of the gospel that are missing if you stop there. There are still pieces of the elephant that is missing if you stop there. There is more to experience in regards to the gospel. Today we are looking at another angle or facet of the gospel. Church, did you know that the cross is not just for you, but the cross is for God as well? Jesus just didn't die for you but he died for God. God died for God. In fact, the cross 
more to do with God than you. God needs the cross just as much as we did, but not in the same way as we did. Let me say that again. God needed the cross just as much as we did, but not in the same way that we did. Why did God need the cross? What was the ultimate reason that Jesus died? What was the ultimate reason? What was at the apex of him dying? Today we will penetrate past what Christ has done for us to what God has done for God. Why did God need the cross? The text again, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just in the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The first reason God needed the cross was to satisfy his anger. The first reason God needed the cross was to satisfy his anger. Christ died, come up close and listen, to satisfy the wrath of God. Christ died to satisfy the wrath of God. We know this because in verse 25, we come across this interesting word, propitiation. I can't say a lot of big words, but... For some reason, when it comes to theological words, for some reason, I can just say them. I don't know why. Everybody say it with me. Propitiation. Basically, it means a satisfaction. Propitiation infers that God is angry at sin in sinners. Not just your sin, but he's angry at you also. You need to understand that God is not just angry at some, at some reality out there. God is angry with you. When it comes to satisfying the wrath of an eternal holy God, just anything will not do. You cannot give God just anything to satisfy his wrath. In order for us To be saved from God, his wrath had to be satisfied. Well, what satisfied the wrath of God? God could only be satisfied by the shedding of blood. He could only be satisfied by the shedding of blood. Now, I'm going to dig into that. I don't want you to think that God is a vampire because he's not. Just thirsting after blood. No, that's not what's going on. But what does Hebrew say to us? Without the shedding of blood, there is no what? Forgiveness of sin. You see that? Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You you ought to already feel the weight of your disobedience. Sin requires blood. Sin requires blood. Sin is nothing to play with. It's not a joke. But God is not satisfied with just any kind of blood. 
In all the millions of animals that were slain in the Old Testament, God was never satisfied. He was never, never, never satisfied. Why? Because it took a certain blood type to satisfy God. All the rest of these sacrifices did not satisfy God. You say, well, what did they do, Pastor? They symbolized. They pictured the one sacrifice that would satisfy God. Let me explain. By going back to this word, propitiation. Now, Paul is no dummy. Paul is a scholar. Paul knows his his, his Bible. He sets the word propitiation in in these verses for a reason. Now, he uses this word propitiation is used 20 times in the Greek Old Testament to denote the golden covering of the Ark of the Covenant. Pull up the picture. Let me explain the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant uh, had the cherubims. As you can see, those wings, those are the cherubims hovering. Their wings are over the what? The mercy seat. Underneath, so that was the covering, the angels in the mercy seat. Underneath, inside of the Ark were the Ten Commandments. So the mercy seat, Set over the Ten Commandments. The mercy seat set over the Ten Commandments. Most of all, Paul knew this, that the priest had to sprinkle blood seven times on the mercy seat to make atonement for God's people. And when the priest would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, it would turn the presence of God from wrath to mercy. Let me explain that again. The priest, when he went into the holies of holies, if he didn't do what God told him to do, he would drop dead. You come into God's presence with sin on you, you would drop dead. People say, I want to talk to God. I want to have a conversation. Well, no, you don't. You don't want to have a conversation with him. It's not going to be a conversation. You're going to say, God, just go. Just die. Just dead. Just gone. What you got to say now? Nothing, because you're dead. Can't say nothing. Can't chit-chat no more. Right? But when the blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat, the wrath of God, this presence turned into the mercy of God. Isn't it ironic that the Ten Commandments would be up under mercy? The Bible will preach all by itself. I can sit down. I said the Ten Commandments were up under the mercy seat because mercy covers what we have not done. But wait a minute. Hold up. Wait a minute. Hold fast. There could be no mercy if there was no blood. There had to be blood on the mercy seat in order for mercy to reign instead of wrath. Are we getting why the blood is so important? We sing it all the time. Oh, the blood, right? Pleading the blood of Jesus over everything. You got to plead it over yourself. So what's the bottom line? Watch what Paul says. He says, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Understand that no human blood would do to satisfy the wrath of God. 
It doesn't matter if your blood type is O negative. I know people are like, well, I'm O negative. I'm special. It don't matter if you're A negative, B positive, AB negative. Unless your blood type was J, you couldn't turn God's presence from wrath to mercy. Jesus alone can atone for our sins. So what did God do? He put him forward. In other words, God had to provide the blood needed to satisfy himself. God provided the blood that he needed to satisfy himself. God reached down in his own pockets and paid for seeing himself. Lines up with his character, doesn't it? He's all sufficient. If God was to look to us to satisfy him in any way, he would cease to be God. To be God means you don't need nothing from anyone or nobody. Your well-being is not contingent on any outside sources, which is why in the beginning was God and there was no one else. And he was able to sustain what? Himself. God doesn't need you. He does not need you. So what's the bottom line? Christ primarily died, watch this, not to satisfy man, but to satisfy God. Christ dwells on the mercy seat forever. He's always there. Remove Christ from the mercy seat and we have a huge problem. But that sacrifice stays there forever. Now, hold on, because I'm talking all this Old Testament stuff, and I know some of you, this may be your first time at church, and you're like, here he is talking about animals and bloods and goats, and I don't know what the heck he's talking about. Let me give you a, a more human example here. Um, when I was younger, my brother used to get into it with this guy all the time. I mean, they would fight every single time they seen each other. If they saw each other, it would go down. They hitting each other with shoes, sticks, balls, bats, whatever they can get their hands on, right? And I'm like, why do you guys keep fighting? And he says, I owe him something. And he says, until I pay it back, every time we see each other, we're going to fight. What's the issue? We're not cool, and I'm not going to act like we're cool until you give me my stuff back. And what God is saying is that if you come into my presence, don't act like we're cool. Unless the blood of Christ is on you and there's a sufficient payment, we're not cool. Never. But Jesus does what? He brings it together. Hey, now y'all know I got to reach on back to Black Panther this morning. <laughs> I mean, I, I just got to do it. I wasn't going to do it because I knew y'all was going to talk about me, but I'm going to do it anyways. And we could talk about it afterwards, all right? And I had to go back to the illustration because it works so well here. In the Black Panther movie, uh, there's that big vibranium-covered rhino. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but the last thing I want to run across is a rhino, and then he's covered in some undestructible stuff. Don't want to fight him, not trying to go there. But here it is in the movie, King Umbaku, hopefully I got that right. Did I get it right or I got it wrong? I got it right, thank you. Okay, so King Umbaku is in the field and he's fighting 
in the rhino comes what? Charging at him. And General Okoye comes in the middle. Did I get it right? Ooh, Umbaku and Okoye. Oh, I'm getting better and better. And so anyways, this is going to blow your mind. And so uh, General Okoye comes in the middle of King Mbaku in the rhino. And then, you know, she's playing the role of the priest. She didn't have to do that. But she gives herself and she puts herself in the middle of the ref of the rhino in King Mbaku. And, and, and the rhino is getting ready to destroy him. But when the rhino sees an object that he loves, his ref turns from ref to mercy. And what does she do? Come on, somebody. Now, hold on. Let's zoom in on her for a minute because she's playing several roles. This is why the gospel is so dynamic because, because General Okoye does a couple things. She covers King Mbaku so that when the rhino sees him, he sees him as his Friend. And so she covers him with righteousness. But on the other side, the rhino is coming. Just couldn't anybody get in front of that rhino. If anybody else would have got in front of that rhino, they would have been a dead man. So she is the sufficient intercessor so that the rhino is satisfied. You get the picture, yeah? You give God praise for that. Number one, the cross satisfies the anger of God. Number two, God needed the cross to clear his name. God needed the cross to clear his name. Y'all like, clear his name? Hold up, Dex. God needed the cross, come up close and listen, because his righteousness is at stake. His name or his reputation or his honor are all called on the line. Here's the question. What caused God's righteousness to be on the line? What caused God's righteousness to be on the line? What in the world would mess up God's reputation? Answer is at the end of verse 26. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Let me read that one again. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Okay, let's see the problem here. God who is holy and just, the righteous one, the defender of what is right, is allowing people to do evil without punishing them for their sins. This is why Paul uses this little phrase, he passed over them. Now, what does that phrase mean? It means that now and for centuries, God has been doing what? Psalms 103.10 says, he does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. God does not give you your just punishment that you deserve for the, what you did last night. Or what you did before you got in here. Oh, I'm getting real close at home. That is a cosmic problem. 
It's a problem. It's a big, 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 big problem. Bigger than you think that it is. For God to overlook your sins is an issue. It is a cosmic issue. He has been passing over thousands of sins. He has been forgiving them and letting them go and not punishing people. People are getting off of death row and being set free. People like we find in Romans 1. Unrighteous people, evil people, coveting people, malice people, envious people, murderers, liars, malicious people, the people that hate God, the inventors of evil, people who are disobedient to their parents, foolish people, faithless people, heartless people, ruthless people are no longer serving God. All of their sentences has been acquitted and God let them go. Can you imagine If the government opened up the prisons and said, let everybody go free, we don't care. We, we forgive them. It don't matter. They don't have to serve it anymore. Here's a more biblical example. Y'all remember King David, my boy King David? That's my dude right there. That dude, he will worship God. Anybody who worships God into their underwear, I mean, into their, I mean that's, my, that's my dude. He, he was a wild boy. He was. King David gives us a good example in 2 Samuel 12. He is confronted by the pro- prophet Nathan after committing adultery. You guys remember that. He commits adultery. He sleeps with another man's wife. Not only that, <laughs> he's shysty for this. He actually has him killed to cover it up. Now, come on. Pause for a minute. Y'all got to jump in the pages of the Bible. Can you imagine that? Slept with a man's wife, then kills him. That is about as shady as I don't know. I, I, I can't even wrap my mind around it. If somebody did that to somebody I love, I'm calling up the boys. We getting in the Chevy and we going. I, I went back. My bad. My bad. My bad. Because it takes you there. It takes you there. But God changed me. I don't need to be doing that no more. Don't. We don't, do, we, we don't do that. Hold on, y'all. I need, I need a moment real fast. <laughs> Woo! But for real, for real. Can you imagine how angry you would be? Yeah. And if anybody ought to deliver justice, it ought to be God. That's what you know how we do We're with our enemies. Uh-huh, God going to get you. Keep messing with me. Uh-huh. I, 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 I hope you get into a car accident. I mean, we do all kind of crazy stuff. I seen some dude on Facebook yesterday. He said, I hope my enemies die. I mean, I'm just being real and honest and raw this morning. When people cross us, we have some, some unholy, some unholy thoughts. But when, you know, once we get saved, we got to be a little bit more holy about it. So, so we pray to God. <laughs> you know, to get them because it feels righteous, you know, to go to God with it, you know, because I'm not repaying evil for evil. I'm just praying that evil happens to them. And that's, that's totally different. That's totally different. I could do it myself, but I'm going to see in God to do it. I'm good, right? It's totally different. Can, can we be real this morning? Come on, some of y'all didn't pray those prayers. So David, Nathan comes to David. David feels the rebuke. He realized that he's jacked up, he messed up, he just did something totally wrong. And what does he say in verse 13? I have sinned against the Lord. That's all fine and dandy. 
Then watch what the Lord says. This is what gets me right here. The Lord also has put away your sin and you shall not die. Hold on. You commit adultery with somebody else's wife. You kill him and God's response is I put it away. I'm not going to do anything about it. You just going to let it go. God, how could you? I trusted in you to bring justice on my behalf, and you look at this sin like it's nothing. That is an issue. David sinned against their family. Would you be okay with God if he passed over somebody's sin who hurt you? You would say, this fool needs to go to hell, and I hope he burns forever. I hope he rots in prison. You slick. Beep, 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 beep. I ain't going to be cussing up here. I know it bleep me. Now, most people don't make a big deal out of God not punishing their sin. It, is it felt as a problem by the secular mindset that God is kind to sinners? Here's the way J. Cole describes it. He says this. He says, see, I believe if God is real, he'll never judge a man because he knows us all and therefore he would understand. I had to edit this, y'all. So this don't sound like the version you listen to. So edit it. Clean. Because he knows us all and therefore he would understand. The ignorance that make a man take his brother's life, the bitterness and pain that got him be- beating on his wife. Is this our God? He lets sin go because he understands our situations. Is that God? I don't think so. And we don't feel the weight of how big of a problem this is. If our God, who is the maker of all, is unrighteous, untrustworthy, and cannot be trusted to carry out justice, what is the point of life? Why are we here? What is our hope in? If God is not perfect, why worship him? How would you answer these questions? You say your God is so righteous. You say your God is so just. You say your God is so holy. You say your God cannot look on sin. You say your God can't tolerate evil. You say your God won't give in to disobedience. And then how come all these people got away with sin? That's what they're going to ask you. If your God is so just and so right and so righteous and so holy, how can he overlook all of these sins? I mean, you people sin and you don't die. And then you tell us to forgive your sin. And then you tell us he forgives your sin. And then, and then you believe in him and then he forgives every sin you ever done. How can that God be just and holy? So here's the problem, church. God appears to be and indeed would be unrighteous if he passed over sins without saving us in a way that demonstrates his infinite passion for his glory. Which is his righteousness. I want you to understand this. God's glory is his righteousness. It is his perfectness. This is what makes God so glorious. This is why we worship him, because he's set apart from anybody else. 
But here's the dilemma. If God is passing over sin, he is no longer righteous. And I don't know about you, but I only want to worship a holy and perfect God. If God is not perfect, what is the point of worship? Why come here? Why lift up your hands? Is there any foundation to life? If God is not holy, is there any foundation for living? Depression settle in my soul. But if God is unrighteous, there is nothing but hopelessness. But far be it from God. Because Jesus on the cross is a testimony and witness that God hates and punishes sin and cares about his righteousness. According to Romans, this is the most basic problem that God solved by his death of his son. Or let's read the verse again. Whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a satisfaction by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. Let me give you a biblical picture, clear picture here. You remember the woman who was caught in adultery, right? The Pharisees bring her before Jesus. They caught her in the middle of adultery. We don't know how they found her. I don't know how they found her. That's some jacked up stuff. But the question is, what was the man at? But that's a whole different story for another day. They find her in the act of adultery. They bring her to Jesus. They say, Jesus, what should we do with her? They're trying to trap Jesus because they know that the law says what? She ought to be for what she has done. But instead, Jesus does what? Jesus says anyone who is without sin, throw the first stone. And what happens? All the stones drop to the ground and everybody disappears. Who's standing there with her? It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And he says, where is your accusers. They are all gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. He showed her grace and mercy. But hold up, let's rewind the tape. The reason why Jesus was able to show her mercy, because he knew in AD 33 that the cross was coming and that he was going to take her stones for her and he was going to get beat for her, therefore, he was able to say, I don't condemn you. But hold on, wait a minute. If AD 33 was not coming, if the cross was not coming, if the gospel was not coming, Jesus would have stoned her himself. And he would have stoned everybody who left the place because justice requires stoning and death for sin. But Jesus doesn't stone her. Because he knew that the day was coming when he would take her stones for her. Glory be to God. Jesus' main reason for coming is not ultimately for us, but for his father. We see this in John. He says, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it 
and will glorify it again. God glorified himself in the life of his son. God cleared his name at the cross. The cross is a living testimony to all those who accuse God of being unjust and unrighteous. God says, I dare somebody call me unjust. Did you not see that I took the eternal son, my only son, and I sacrificed him, that I reached into my own pockets and killed him because before I'll be unjust, I'll die for the payment of sin. Bringing us to number three, God needed the cross to be just and the justifier. Let's look at the final verse. So that he might be just in the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Simply put, only God is qualified to forgive sins. Only God is qualified to forgive sin. Only Jesus can forgive sin. People say things like, Dexter, I'm struggling to forgive myself. You don't have the authority to do that. But there is one who has the authority to give it to you, and you need to fight to believe that he's forgiven your sins. Only God can forgive sin. God so wanted to forgive our sin that he fixed the dilemma. He brought his love and his justice at the cross. He was able to justify sinners and remain just in the cross of Jesus Christ. I hope you're seeing the beauty and the complexity of Jesus. In Jesus, God's just requirement is met, and so he remains just, which is really, really, really important, and now he's able to justify us. Matthew 9 expresses it clearly. He says, in getting into a boat, he crossed over, and came to his own city, and behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if anybody walks up to you and say, hey, Behold, your sins are forgiven, run as far as you can from them. <laughs> Whoa, I'm telling you, boy. Uh, he says, and behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing in their hearts what they were thinking, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is evil, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. God alone has the authority to forgive sins. Friends, what does all of this mean to us? Well, let me tell you what it means. Number one, God. God is satisfied. Number two, God's name is clear. Number three, we know that the cross makes God both just and the justifier. And so what can we deduce from this? Y'all remember back in the day when they had when, when they first came out with those telephones, right? You only had what? 
You only had a house phone, right? You can only talk to the ones who you love, who the ones you wanted to communicate when you went to the house. And it had long cord attached to it. And you can only go so far. You can be on the phone talking to your boo. And people see that little telephone lying in that room and say they on the phone again. And sometimes you'll just be sitting there breathing, just talking to them. I love you. I can't wait to see you. And then they upgraded, right? They upgraded. That was the Old Testament phone. But then they upgraded to the New Testament phone. They came out with this device called a cellular phone. And with a cellular phone, you can talk to people anywhere. It doesn't matter. You can be at Chick-fil-A. You can be at White Castles. And you can talk to your loved one. But hold on. I almost shouted about the New Testament phone. But iPhone upgraded it even more. They came out with this thing called FaceTime so that you can have some face-to-face conversation with the one you love. You might not know where I'm going, but when Jesus died on that hill called Calvary a long time ago, the veil was torn, and God said, you can talk to me anywhere. You don't have to come to the temple. You don't have to come to church. You don't have to be in a location. You can talk to me anywhere but hold on not only can you talk to me anywhere God wants to have a face-to-face conversation with you God wants to have some FaceTime with you you can look at his glory you can look at his being we can know him we can walk with him we can talk with him so what does the cross mean for us the cross means that I can have a relationship with God the cross means that I can talk to God once song says, I am a friend of God. I'm no longer an enemy of God. I'm no longer an alien of God. I am a friend of the Most High God, and I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that we converted to the New Testament phone because it's unlimited. You remember the old cell phones. You had to get off at 9 o'clock, which means you had to get your prayers in before nighttime. You had to talk to them before the sunset. But now he says, you got unlimited access because of what my son did. Oh, and by the way, don't worry about the phone bill. He paid it already. And so you can talk to him as long and as long as you want. Church. We have the wonderful privilege of having a face-to-face conversation with God. Be it far from us that we take for granted the wonderful privilege to come to the throne of grace in a time of need and bring to our God our needs. You got to remember, church, when you think of the gospel, when you think of that face-to-face time you're having with God, You remember that back then, they would have dropped dead if they came face to face with God. You got to remember that you didn't pay that phone bill. Somebody paid it for you. It's hard for me to get my daughter to understand that. That's how we are, though, right? Arrogant. I got a relationship with God. That's because somebody paid the phone bill. If somebody didn't pay the phone bill, you wouldn't be talking to God. You wouldn't have that face to face opportunity. Now, what should we do with all of this? It is incumbent upon us. It is not a choice, but a command that we go out into the world and we tell other people that they can have a face-to-face encounter with God. 
If they would, repent of their sins. Believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You too can have unlimited minutes. Be able to talk to God wherever you go. You know how they sell it to you, right? Have unlimited minutes. Talk to God wherever you go. And we're going to throw FaceTime in for a bonus. This is what God has called us to do.